0: dramatic the story of creation is as told in Genesis. You can just imagine it, right? This God who sweeps her hand and light appears, who nods his head and planets spin into the sky and suns begin to burn and heat and light up moons. This creative power snaps its fingers and birds crack their wings one day. Whales and minnows swim in the newly created seas and rivers and lakes never fresher than on that day. Humankind rolled from the earth, it's told. My favorite re-depiction of that piece of the story is in James Weldon Johnson's poem, The Creation, where he says, up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay and by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down and there, the great God Almighty who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the farmost most corners of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his palm. This great God, like, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay till he shaped it in his own image. Then into it he blew the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. And there, Adam and Eve must have stood, we can also imagine, like Mary Oliver describes in her poem, "Morning in a New Land. One of them rubbing his eyes from that first night of sleep and parting the leaves on some full and resplendent tree like tissue. On some vast, incredible gift. All good, this God says of this creation. At each step, it's good, a gift indeed, though it would be broken from its perfect state and those who came after would be left to bind it back up and find our way back to the paradise we are all told once existed. In this moment all was well. At the end of that creation, in this version of the story, we are told though that this God does one last thing. It is the capstone of this whirlwind of generative work and it's not quite what we might suppose. Rabbi and theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel writes, quote, the mythical mind would expect that after heaven and earth have been established, God would create a holy place, a holy mountain or a holy spring whereupon a sanctuary is to be established. Yet it seems as if, to the Bible, it is holiness in time, the Sabbath, which comes first. Heschel points out that God's last creative act, at least in this first wave of creation, is to consecrate a day, and God calls it holy Kadosh. The first thing, the first reality, the only part of creation, as good as it all is, that will be called holy, is a day. Horace Church used to say that eternity wasn't a length of time, it was depth in time. And I don't know entirely what he meant, but I get the idea. That time isn't just a measure of length, but it has qualities to it, like depth. And as Genesis points out, holiness too. Not all the time, but some time. And whether it's that way in and of itself or because we make it so by consecrating the way we are present to it, I don't begin to know. But that time can be holy, feel holy, I do know. The idea of Sabbath is that it asks us to partner in that truth. I think sabbath gets a bad rap in our contemporary conventional uses. Even using the word conjures up images of finger-wagging ministers I think and days without alcohol or or fun, any kind of fun. Sabbath in that vein is all about starched, scratchy clothes and boring long sermons and tight shoes and having to be on your best behavior. But the notion in Judaism at least is much richer and frankly, gorgeously and seductively appealing. At least to me, and I hope you agree. Imagine this, a perfect day. For me, that would be a day after a big holiday, like the Friday after Thanksgiving or the first real day in a week of vacation. That day or any day like it when you count on being abandoned to being and the good things in life by which I don't mean yachts and tiaras I mean the really good things. Can you think of such a day? Remember one A day when all the cooking is done and there are plenty of leftovers. A day when even though you have chores to do, you still have so much time that you cannot do them guilt-free. A day when you can just hang out, maybe with your family and friends, playing football in the backyard, or sitting around the table in your jeans, talking for hours, and how the day kind of meanders on. How some points in the day, some people go off and nap and others find a quiet place and curl up with a book. And at some point, everyone maybe gathers around the TV for a movie or to watch a game. And some are on the couch and some are on the floor or reclining on pillows that are brought in from other rooms. And people are laughing and poking fun of each other. And there's grace around the table at night. And the people who are not there, who are no longer with you, they're somehow between you all still in those moments. That day when you could count on all of life being full of all the good stuff of life. You know that kind of day? Or whatever a perfect day is for you. Well, That's what Sabbath, this holy day, is supposed to be like in a way. Sabbath is actually the holiest of all Jewish holy days. I mean, there are 52 Sabbaths in a year after all. No other celebration gets that much airtime. And what is the core of this day? What is it about? Piety? Boredom? No. Sabbath is about delight. A delight that makes everything important possible. A delight that's key to our spiritual and emotional survival. Rabbi Irving Greenberg, author of The Jewish Way, writes, The promise that universal peace can be reached and the earth turned into a paradise is astounding. The demand to overcome sickness and poverty is revolutionary and wild is that in Judaism is to believe all that this can be achieved through humanity, not despite us. It's what Unitarian Universalists, what we also believe, by the way, that we human beings, we're the fingers and toes, the legs, the eyes, the mouth of whatever is divine in this world. We are flawed, for sure. Any longtime member of the human race will attest to that. But we are capable of overcoming our flaws in in just the right moments, at just the right point to turn the tide of life or history and do tremendous good despite our limits. So the theater of salvation, it's not in some imagined heaven or hell, but right here and right now and every day and every hour that we live and choose and shape the future by our actions in the present moment. But that? is tiring business and the world can get under our skin and compromise our resolve or like a boat that's lost its guiding star in the cloudy sky we can slightly start to veer off our course sometimes almost imperceptibly so but day after day that one degree and send us off in completely the wrong direction, forging a future that we we actually didn't want to be a part of. So how do we, how do you and I, ground ourselves to protect against all of these pitfalls of the life of the Spirit? What do we do? Sabbath was supposed to be the structure we built into our lives for just that work. No one should try to save the world, writes Rabbi Greenberg, without having an inner life. Tradition had to develop an individual's love of life. Sabbath is about that. It's this structure in time. It's this consecration of time, a a cathedral, not on a hill, right? But to mark the seventh day in these recurring hours and points in our weeks, to make sure that we nurtured, that we nurtured this inner life and a love of life. Who doesn't want that? How, you might ask, how were we supposed to do that day to help us avoid all those pitfalls? Despair, the dangerous misdirection of life. What helped us to avoid all of that? Well, it was the whole array of things that were supposed to be part of this idea of Sabbath. It was this, this for sure. Worshipping, singing, praying, Getting together with a community whose ideals and visions we shared however we could. People who helped one another to hold the whole of life and wrestle together to make sense of it week in and week out. This, for sure. But also study, reading, time for thought and reflection. That was part of Sabbath. Eating, but not cooking, so that no one was stuck in the kitchen while the rest relaxed. Food was to be made in advance. No dishes were to be done that day. No vacuuming, no shopping. Sex. Making love to your partner, it's a mitzvah, a blessing on Shabbat. So is sleeping, by the way. And how perfect it is that the two might mix together. An afternoon nap, no one having chores to do. You can see how genius it all is and what happens if you do all of this if you surrender to the harsh disciplines of sabbath rabbi greenberg says that when you do quote the ability to reflect is set free creative thoughts long forgotten come back to mind one's patience with life increases The individual's capacity to cope is renewed. But there's one other aspect to the intention and framing to Shabbat that I don't want to lose because I love it so much. It is more than just all these lovely, restorative, joy filled pieces, it's even more than that. Shabbat is supposed to be a day when we taste the fulfillment of a dream. One day a week, we are to set aside all that is undone and imperfect and heartbreaking and painfully eluding our efforts. One day, we are to pretend to act as if the world is perfect. More so even, we are to dig into and beyond the ugliness and the imperfection and to hold up the quiet. The wisdom that breathes through books and in quiet moments, the sheer joy of food and being with loved ones of a body that's honored and celebrated and mind and spirit. We are supposed to see, look for the blue sky that is always there but gets clouded over. See the perfection. Look for and find it here even even amidst all the pain. Why? Because doing so gives us a taste of what it is we're working to make real for everyone and ourselves all the time. The hope is that having lived into that reality imaginatively, tasted of it one day a week, pulled it back into our consciousness, that we will go back recommitted to lean even harder into the stubborn places in this world, determined, if you will, To unearth the good and the holy, where it already exists, all of it ways to make abundant life more possible for all. What a radical act it is to keep a Sabbath, actually, to ignore the pressures to stay busy and dissatisfied. What a radical act to commit one day in delighting in the world, acting as if it's perfect and enjoying all the things that make it so, and calling that a religious commitment. A decade ago, after running myself completely down, I recommitted to trying to honor one day a week as a kind of Sabbath. I never did it perfectly, Somehow I always would manage to do a little shopping with Lila for school things some of those days or fold some laundry or scramble some eggs and make some muffins, but I chose to do those things differently. And I would prioritize rest and study time and time with my loved ones and I'd focus on joy and I'd hold that day as consecrated and it has sustained me when I've done so to be able to do so but I will say that pandemic with home being office and time feeling strangely fluid like one long living through of the groundhog day movie well it's undermined that boundary for me and that practice and so I am recommitting to it lately because I miss it and I miss how it changes how I am the rest of the week. I invite you, if you don't already do so, to consider one day carved out along those lines. One day a week, that's all, just to rise and part the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. One day, not to miss delight for distraction, For theologians and poets alike tell us we were made for two purposes, to savor and to save this life. We were made for both and one day, so the story goes, was created wholly. and just to remind us not to forget the savoring part. Delighting, we are told, may just make all the rest possible. So Shabbat Shalom, my friends. Shabbat Shalom. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.